Hey everyone, and welcome to another great episode of Turban Thinker Debates. So today we're going to be talking about a subject that actually really sort of frankly infuriates me and gets me pretty wound up. So uh, I apologize if I get heated in my discussion, but it's the subject that I really, I, I struggle to understand why it exists and I definitely can't, can't tolerate or comprehend it. And the subject is obviously going to be about bullying. So bullying, I don't understand why today in 2020, when we should be in a free world and we pride ourselves in living in a free world, that bullying continues uh, to be a disgraceful reality for so many people. And I think it's a lot to do because of ignorance, hatred, racism, classism, sizeism, you name it, I, it exists in its many different shapes and forms. And today we're going to be tackling this subject and it's a never ending subject and probably the podcast would go on for hours if we really, you know, gave it the time. But for me, at least we're highlighting it. And the subject is really about will it ever stop because it has to stop. And today I'm joined by three wonderful guests. We have Satyander Shukla, who's not new to my podcast. Actually, he was one of the first that I did interview on Turban Thinker. Uh, Satyander is the CEO of Melange Sourcing, and he's an expert in product development, product planning, and social audit and ethical compliance, which has a lot to do with the subject that we're talking about as well. Tavis Stewart, who's an international business development and corporate social strategy um, exec, and he's been placed with companies in the past like Bank of England, American Express, and Ernest & Young, as well as working alongside one of the very first empowered women in business and in retail, the inspirational late Anita Roddick, of course, the founder of The Body Shop. Tavis is also an executive life coach, and he supports and mentors senior executives and business owners on the stressful roles of their day-to-day. -day. He also happens to be my husband, God help him. Um, and... You know, I typically don't involve him really in these uh, discussions, but I found it very appropriate because this is, I know, one subject that he equally doesn't tolerate and is very passionate about trying to understand why this has happened and making it end. And last but not least, the very beautiful Hannah Nemec. Hannah joins us from the US. Hannah is the founder and CEO of The Hannah, a marketing and business strategy consultancy, which really works with SMEs and semi-government across the Middle East. Hannah was born and raised in the States, and she converted to Islam around nine years ago and moved to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, where she resides and started her career in Riyadh, specifically in 2015. In addition, Hannah has a wonderful blog that blogs about faith, current events, and life, which is uh, theconvertconfessions.com. So thank you all so much for joining me today on this very heated debate. Thank Pleasure. you for having us. Thank you, Asil, for inviting me on back on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. So we're just going to go straight to it. And obviously, I alluded to my first debates podcast, which I recently launched and I sort of mentioned in the start of that podcast that the brutal and recent shocking events which you know are happening in the U.S. with regards to George Floyd and I did say that I wanted to have a full-on podcast on that so today we're going to be talking about this subject and it's very interesting because actually I'm going to steal a little bit of Tavis's thunder right now but he's used to that because he lives with me 
um, he, he had a great example of two leaders of the free world uh, with very different leadership styles. Uh, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau broke the mold recently by not jumping into a very political answer when he was asked about the situation in the U.S. He didn't blame Trump, uh, and as you know, for something that is an overall systemic situation in a lot of Western countries. Instead, he simply confirmed that the situation was wrong in his own country. Now, the difference: we have another leader of the free world. President Trump, and he chose to shout louder and send in the National Guard. He chose to basically um, shout instead of listen, uh, very different to Trudeau's style. So we have one that's a listener, one clearly that shouts loud. And so these leadership styles are apparent and have a lot to do with the subject we're talking about. And that shows that when you're the person at top of any chain, whether it's a business, a country and a government, that they have a controlling power and a role to play. And they are also very accountable for the emotional waves that affect the decisions and the lives of everyone below them. So I'm going to start with Tavis because that was actually his example. And I would like him to lead the way on this uh, comment. Thank you very much. So um, firstly, it's lovely to be here with Azil and uh, with Hannah and Sati. And as I'm a life coach, I, want, I like to look at why uh, people become who they are. And these two examples are very good. So I'm fascinated by the nurture versus nature argument. And uh, we certainly can say that some people are influenced by the way their parents and environment have affected them as they're growing up. And other peoples, we can say, are affected by the position they may be in and how they may, may make a conscious decision to become more powerful at any cost, um, which, which a lot of people have taken. So if we take those last two presidents um, of the US, Obama was raised by his mother and grandmother. He attended four different like semi-state schools, has no political background. And, and although not everyone agrees with him, I think he's uh, not an aggressive or power-hungry sort of man. Then, Trump, Trump was raised by his mother, as far as we know, um, but his father was also a very powerful and rich man, and he was sent to military academy at 13. So uh, the, the results seem to be pretty obvious. I mean, they're not conclusive, but that seems to be what it is. But if we take a mixture of the two, which is Trudeau, who went to private schools and followed in his father's footsteps and became prime minister of Canada and actually did a pretty good job, the same as his father. So we can see that what affects it. The reason I'm saying that, and that's just my opinion, um, is that uh, uh, I, I think that the, the, uh, the, the next, the generation of, uh, like in the police force, especially in the States, are basically second, some of them are second or third generation policemen. They're now acting like their fathers acted, and they, which brings in this assumed power and, and inherent racism which not all of them, but it seems to be that there's definitely there. Well, I mean, you see this being repeated. So it's not the first time this unfortunate situation happens. So there's obviously something wrong in the system. Yeah. So how do we, I mean, that's the point. So how do we make their leaders accountable? I mean, they have everyone that's in there has a leader. They have a boss. So the system is definitely broken. Um, but when it takes a countrywide riot to force that the police to charge their own people, with manslaughter, something's definitely wrong, and that has to start at the top. 
in this example with uh, with George Floyd, that the chief of police is actually a fairly new chief of police. He's a um, an African American chief of police, the first one um, in Minnesota. Which comes with its own pressures yeah, and responsibilities. Yeah, which you don't know yeah, how sort of political that is or whatever, but it definitely has pressures and responsibilities. But he actually didn't hesitate to fire them, but it took the riot to make him arrest them. So there's still, like, it's getting better, I think, but there's still that, like, thin blue line of the police looking after themselves and protecting themselves rather than doing what is right straight away. So, so, so Satu, I mean, Satu, what, what are your thoughts about this, these examples that Tavis is sharing? And do we think the system is flawed or, or clearly there is a flaw? Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the situation when people are rioting. First of all, Asil, thank you for inviting me. And again, welcome to Tavis and Hannah on the back uh, on the show. And uh, I think, Asil, first of all, uh, the way I look at the bullying is, uh, maybe, is probably in a slightly bigger perspective. And, and I see bullying uh, every day in life means it, the point is it's in which shape and which form. I think what the situation of George Floyd has basically done is to bring out those emotions right out in the front in the open. And the situation of the George Floyd is not something which is new. It has happened umpteen number of times in U.S. and it still continues. The only difference right now is George Floyd's uh, arrest and death was caught on camera, Right. And that suddenly means sent all the social media going up and running and everybody started catching and, you know, it's going on. I think so. More, if I look at it, I think it's more important for the society to look as to what this is all about. And more importantly, it's, means it's just not only a question about color, religion and all. We discriminate in our lives based on the perceptions that we have, right? And the big question to ask is, Internally, as human beings, have we still liberated ourselves across from the perceptions that we have built up, right? So yes, like for example, in our daily lives, and I see that I, I live in India, and I see that in India still there are people who work for us, there are maids and all, but in case if there is a small little robbery in our home or anything, the first thing that we point is, is at the people who are working for us. So in, in my view, even that's a kind of bullying because at the end of the day, uh, just they work for us. It doesn't mean that they're inferior to us, but our perceptions are like that. And yes, uh, just to put it across in a very simple form, will bullying end? I'm not sure ourselves will this, that will ever end. It will still continue, but yes, I think we can become better. And I think the most, most important thing for us is the perceptions that we have, we need to also allow other people's voices to be heard, and we need to listen across to them. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, of course, it, it, bullying will never disappear, unfortunately. And exactly. I mean, it does definitely appear in all, all forms and, you know, and it, it appears in every environment, certainly whether it's work or whether in a country or whether you're an expat or, or whatever the reasons, you know, whether you're a kid. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I was bullied relentlessly because I was of a different color. And I mentioned that on my other podcast, you know, I we. I'm from the Middle East and then we went to the UK and back in the 70s, you know, there weren't many where we were living, you know, there weren't many, uh, you know, newcomers and it was predominantly a British uh, community. And so we rocked up and we were a different color. And so we got bullied and we got bullied until, you know, we were teenagers until we left and then, you know, moved on. But it's not something that you can ever forget 
and you know they do say that it makes you stronger well actually not really because it does affect you a tremendous amount and then you see it of course this is a very small example and then you see it escalate when it becomes you know uh, major situations like this which end in disaster and Hannah I'm going to ask you because you're residing between you know Saudi Arabia and between uh, now the US but I just a little bit about your background and how your experience of you know, you being where you're from, and please share that, and how you've sort of experienced, if at all, this kind of, I guess it's not comfortable or situation where you could refer to it as whatever you like, whether bullying or however. Sure. So please, yeah. Yeah, so definitely. So first, I want to obviously say thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, the thing that I want to preface this conversation by saying is that I come from a place of extreme privilege. Uh, I'm born in the States as a Caucasian female. My roots are from the Czech Republic. And, you know, in one side of my family, several generations back. And so we've been in the States for a while. And and I've, you know, a lot of my life, I was the basic American girl. Um, I grew up in a city where there was no diversity. <laughs> I went an entire summer, one summer, without seeing a single person that was not Caucasian when I was living in my city. So that can kind of give you a little bit of a background. We're so Caucasian in my city, in, in the small suburb I live in Cleveland when I'm at home, that we have uh, like, you know, stereotypes about different other white people. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. we're Czech, so we're this way. They're Italian, so they're another way. So that's the kind of yeah. uh, environment that I grew up in. But for me, I think that one of the important things that Tavis said was that people make a conscious decision uh, in their daily lives on how they act. And I can't speak specifically for my leadership, but, you know, the leader of my country, you know, I can't, uh, I can't take responsibility for the things he says, but I can take responsibility for the things that I say. So I think that Trump has probably never spoken to a 29-year-old uh, Muslim American convert that's living in Saudi Arabia. Just, Absolutely. Just I can guarantee he hasn't. <laughs> so when he speaks, you know, I cringe, but technically he is my leader and that he's supposed to represent me. But if we can realize that all the political leaders and everywhere in the world, not just in America, but everywhere, are, you know, they're people. They're emotional. They're sensitive. They shouldn't be perhaps because they're supposed to also be eloquent, but they, we have to be practical about how we view them. They're not, you know, the end all be all. They're just a representation of their own opinion and sometimes an opinion of a faction that voted for them, but not everybody that is a part of their country. So if we make our voices in congregation, drown out the voice of the one that represents us, then that's for me personally more powerful. Absolutely. And I think what's, you know, fascinating is, of course, <coughs> you know, this circumstance has actually brought the world together. And I mean, what's even more interesting is the world has been together because clearly we're all sort of experiencing the same, you know, pandemic and the same um, emotions currently. And then this happens in a world that's the, the great news is the world is together. And then the reaction has been you know, quite remarkable and very, very fast. And, uh, you know, hopefully this, like Sassiandro is saying, is going to, if anything, trigger this compassion in people, which we were feeling was happening post this anyway, and, and making it 
you know, slowly changing or moving the dial. And that kind of brings me to the fact of obviously social media. And it's a really interesting subject, again, because we have mainstream media, which is sort of typically controlled and in many times probably biased. And then we have social media, which is very instant, very raw. And the speed, I mean, how do you even, like Satyanda alluded to, the speed has been remarkable as to how this is sort of spread. And however, it leaves us in a position that how do you, you know, how do you manage or set the parameters for both? Because whilst this is an outstanding usage of social media that's brought the world together, at the same time, both of these streams are quite volatile and sometimes can be misconstrued because equally in another form of social media, something might be represented that's not, um, you know, how it is. So I'm going to um, start with actually Tavis on this one and what your thoughts on just the media. Well, I mean, social media is two, is the two headed coin, isn't it? It's, it's uh, we've just seen that um, we were just looking earlier that uh, Facebook is like, Teenagers will tell you that more than 90% of bullying on social media is done on Facebook. But Facebook are not taking responsibility of how they can control that because they're saying, well, it's not up to them to control it. It's up to parents and schools and, and things like that, But which, again, is about how people are brought up and how they're, they're um, I guess, introduced to this type of ability to do what they can to other people. And whether it's a good thing or the bad thing in their own um, minds and hearts. So I think you know, social media, like with everything, it, it, it has a lot of positive things going for it. Um, and so does the news if it's done in the right way by the, by the, the bigger media companies. But it's, it's such a difficult one to say how you can control it um, by, by you know, putting, if you put restrictions on it, then it means that people will just try and get past those restrictions and start doing more. Um, if you leave it open, so it really isn't down to it's. It's still just a tool. So again, we were talking talking about how people are brought up and the schools, and those are the areas where, when they're learning about what is good, what what bullying does to people. And there's a lot more out there about bullying now, about how it affects other children and children, are, and are being a lot more open, um, and not just children, but people about how they feel when they're bullied. Where before it was a thing you just kept to yourself. So I think that that in itself is good in social media because people are now coming out on social media saying this is I was bullied. This is what happened. This is how I feel. So uh, I hope it makes it'll make a difference. I mean, Satyander, you obviously spent a lot of time <coughs> reading and looking at sort of the social media or the news or the stats. And <coughs> it is a great tool, like Tavis said. And this is one example where this tool has been used effectively and brought the world together. But you know, it is, it is, uh, it is an, I'm probably another debate, you know, on the use of social media. But my question is, generally, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Asilla, if I have to basically put this across, you see, it's, uh, I look at social media, again, it's, it's just like a platform, just like Amazon, just like uh, other platforms which are available. The point is, you can put the basic rules and regulations of the game but ultimately, it's left across to the people who use it. And it's quite a contrast because if I just to put it across, we have Twitter right now. Twitter is used by President Donald Trump and Twitter is also used by 
uh, our Prime Minister, Mr. Modi, right? And if you probably look at the uh, what both of them post on their social media, you will just realize how different they are. But yes, now when you come down, you start looking at the normal media, which is the general print media or the normal media, which is available in both states and, and in India, right? You'll probably see in India the narratives which goes on the normal media. Uh, they do not criticize our prime minister. Sometimes people say that maybe our current prime minister's party has probably even bought them over. Whereas in US, you see CNN, uh, CNN of the world, they criticize Donald Trump. So if from my personal perspective, I think social media is a great platform. I just think it's left across to the people who use it and to use their conscience. And while whatever comes onto the platform, you got to be very, very careful to understand what is being said over there is right or wrong. I have seen people posting uh, pictures, which have probably happened five years back, and suddenly they post it today as if it's happened today, and you start reacting to it, right? So I, I, I would still say it's still in the evolution stages, whether even if we do artificial intelligence to remove some of the things which are wrong to remove from there, but still, a lot many things are still going to get away from it. So I think whatever comes across, we got to be very careful in the way in accepting it. But I think it's a great platform and it still, it still has to evolve. I think over the next four or five years, you will see a much more better evolution of it rather than what we are seeing it right now. I mean, Hannah, of course, you know, social media, you're in marketing and, and this is your field as well as, as in the marketing and social media is a huge thing powerful tool i'm sure that plays into that uh but then again you know with our subject of bullying you see this ridiculous amount of trolling that happens and in the use of the negative use of social media to to individuals or you know that that are influencing because at the end of the day my point being is that this is a tool of influence and we started the conversation saying that you know there's different influences you have you know obviously the physical influences leaders people that you look up to or like you said maybe you don't choose them but they happen to be the ones that are in that power or position of influence or authorities and so on and so forth and then there are now these modern day tools which are also very powerful and also influence our thinking and so you know you do have this element like I said, this was a great use, a wonderful use of the social media. But at the same time, hundreds of thousands of millions are trolled and negatively using this this tool, which is called, you know, causes a tremendous amount of issues. Again, that's a whole other podcast. But what are your thoughts on that? Sure. Well, you know, one of the things about when I did decide to convert to Islam was that was the first time I'd ever experienced that kind of trolling or bullying or whatever you might call it. And I did experience it within my friendship group, of course, but I more than that, I would say I, I experienced it through social media and through, um, you know, the different platforms that I use. Although, you know, part of it is my own fault for being vocal, I guess you could say, but I'm I'm happy to take on that risk in exchange for the benefit that comes from it. Um, and even cyberbullying and bullying in general happens not just to like children, which a lot of people I think focus the attention on. I just got in a fight like two days ago and I'm a grown woman. <laughs> like I just yeah. got into a social media back and forth and it devolved into talk, talking about bad about my religion and the place I live. And then, you know, my parents and all kinds of crazy stuff. Like <laughs> It just devolves like that. 
when you get in that place where you're, you know, coming at somebody mean spirited. So I think that um, social media is obviously a powerful tool and can be used for good. And so instead of using it, you know, to bully people or to go back and forth in a debate that's so silly and nonsensical, that we should use it to also amplify the good parts of what we see and then make our feelings when we do get our feelings hurt. For example, I remember when I first converted, I was at a Walmart in uh, this city that I was going to college. And this woman came up to me and spit on me because oh I was my wearing God. hijab. What? <laughs> and oh, wow. I had never in my life, you know, growing up, fitting in in wow. every environment, never was spit on in my entire life. And I remember that another time I was leaving another, uh, you know, shop. And this lady told me, she screamed out of her van when she was driving by me. All she sees is I'm wearing hijab. She doesn't know, like, what my story is. She says, go back where you came from. And I said, I'm from Cleveland. Like, oh my God. go back where I came from. So wow. these experiences, you know, maybe the physical experiences were painful to me, but then I was able to blog about them and get so much support and so yeah. much, um, you know, positive messages and just positivity out of it that it changed my opinion entirely. I think, yeah, it's essentially what you say, because I had exactly the same experience, um, but in the Middle East. Oh wow! So in 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 Dubai, in a in a modern city, standing in the airport waiting for a sale to to, to come back from a, a business trip, and a man it was, it was a number of years ago now, but a man literally shouting at me to go home. Oh my god! What, what, why are you here going? I, so I I you know because I I'm also a convert, so by being very calm and and saying assalamu alaikum, how are you? And it's like introducing myself, and I says, so where are you from? And he's like, well, I'm from uh, Tunisia. It's like, well, what do you mean, go home? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not, you're not from here. It's like you think this is this, but this is what generates this. Like this, well, we're from this area, and you're from this area, so you, we must be different. Where you know what, we're all humans, and that that's the difficulty of getting across to people. There, I was listening to somebody on who posted today, and they're saying she's an educator. She said, look, can we not just get to the point? We're, we're we've created this by saying that we're all different cultures. When actually we're all just the same, uh, but that's such a difficult thing to get back to now, uh, when it's inherent now in everything that's being done—the way that we're educated, the way that the the, the workplaces, the way the armed forces might be—all these things now. It's so difficult to to try and change it. But I think there is some small changes going in the right direction, but it's very difficult. I just I mean, have a really quick little funny story. Please say that's related. Yes. <laughs> it was actually just a week ago, so it jogged my memory, but. I was at the grocery store and I was uh, in an area taking, getting water, like distilled water from my grandpa's machine. Anyways, uh, there was an Asian woman there and she was also getting water. And then this lady walked by me and she said, look at all the foreign people are hoarding. And I, I didn't even think she oh, was talking wow. about me. I thought she was talking <laughs> about the Asian woman that was with me. And, and she was saying like, oh, they're the cause of it. Like she's like making these little comments. And I was laughing because... She thinks I'm foreign, first of all. Second of all, like, I don't want to sound like, oh, I'm in charge. But my my parents, my my family owns the store that we were in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. She saw me again walking to the parking lot. She saw me, like, putting jugs of water for my 90-year-old grandfather that can't have anything else in the back of my trunk. And she's like, yeah, see these foreign people, they're hoarding. (laughs) And I was like... I own this. <laughs> like this is my thing. And and in America, the whole thing is is I've I've asked people in America when I visited, like 
businesses and factories who, who, who's the, the very white American saying, so, so, uh, so where are you from? And she says, oh, I'm from Germany. I said, oh, you live in Germany? He said, no, no, I've been, my, my grandparents came, but I'm, I'm still, when I ask him, I'm from Germany. Right. <laughs> I'm not from America. It's, sure. it's a very interesting mindset. But I mean, what, what's fascinating is what compels you to do that. I mean, first of yeah. all, who asked for your opinion or exactly. your commentary? And what compels people to, and, and always the, the answer to that is pure ignorance. And jealousy. Ignorance and upbringing have a lot to do with that and obviously the environment. But it's just remarkable that in today's age that you are standing just peacefully doing your own thing and someone feels that they have an opinion that they have to share. They're I mean, to they, yeah, they're entitled to you to make your life miserable or be hurtful. Well, one of the and, things too to think about though is that the fact that as humans, we're kind of designed from a biological standpoint to pick out differences, but we're also designed to be hunter-gatherers and to do a lot of other things that we've evolved to learn not to do. So you would hope that by 2020 we'd be there, but we're not quite there yet. That's, yeah, less tribal and more well, sort that's of... Well, yeah. that's the exact point, isn't it? I mean, yeah, there's been a huge evolution. And you think, especially with, you know, there's so many more resources and the world, you know, everybody talks about, you know, global, not local or whatever. I mean, everyone's always coming up with that. We were a citizen of the world. And when you ask people, oh, well, I'm global because I have so many different backgrounds. And at one point, you know, everyone has multiple nationalities and considers themselves a global citizen. And then at the exact same time, you know, they're, they're busy being racist, being sizist or whatever is uh, ism that there is, you know. And so that's what's fascinating, isn't it? How the speed of but then you will go to remote countries in the world where have not been exposed to different cultures because we refer to like cities in the world as melting pots and whatever. And they're the ones that typically have most of the crime happening, you know, the major cities that are the melting pots. And then you go to some remote country in the middle of nowhere and the people are so respectful of you and so, you know, um, so kind and so polite and they've never met someone from your side of the world, but then their, their culture or their mannerisms are different. So it's such this like juxtaposition of differences where it's very confusing. You're global, but then you have all of this, you know, on one side, and then you might be remote and have a very different view. I mean, Sati, what, what's your take I think on that's this? a very fascinating point because the point is till the time our brains are going to work that we own a certain piece or we are going to fight for our survival, these fights will always carry on. So you see, we have today drawn, in Hinduism, there is a very famous line which says, Vasudev Kutumbamam, which basically means the whole world is one village. We all coexist with each other. But what we have done is we have drawn boundaries, physical boundaries between each other, right? So if I'm in, in my village, you, if someone else comes from the other village, I say to them, you cannot get into my village because I own this, right? And this, this mindset comes not from today. It's been existing for way too long. I think the, the, the fascinating part is even after so many generations, we still behave like that until the time we don't accept it to coexist with each other with different points of view, these kind of conflicts are going to keep happening in. We still see this and, th and I can tell this across to you, this will still continue. The only point is we all need to just go back and understand as a humanity, we are all the same, whether it is the same, whether it's the color or whatever it is. We just need to coexist with peace 
and learn to live with each other. It's as simple as that. Uh, I wish it were that simple, Sati. I really do. I really wish it, it was that simple. It won't be as um, it won't be. Hannah. It won't be. But all we have to do is to try. That's all. That the that's the whole point behind it. Means uh, uh, Hannah's uh, example is very interesting because she comes from a country like US, which is considered to be one of the most democratic countries where the whole world follows. And suddenly, one president comes in in a matter of four years. Right? Probably. the whole perception about america has probably changed right so you just oh, yes. so it just goes yeah. out to tell you you see uh, dynamics can change overnight because one man decides right one man decides could no that's not the way he's going to follow it <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so hannah just before we sort of uh, finish i'd like to hear from each of you really what your message is in a situation like this to the world really or at least to the listeners which i hope one day will be the world <laughs> so you know something that is sort of motivating and inspiring for them to allow them to maybe think differently and really take this situation and sort of really really consider people around them or 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 their situation and how we can do things better so that we can achieve what Sati's saying this peaceful world. Sure. So I would say that if I was to make any suggestion I would say to use your voice in any and every way that you can to stand up for what you believe in and what you know in your heart is right. Uh Sati said that, you know, we're all seemingly fighting for survival, but the problem is is that we're thriving. We've we've evolved we've found ways to protect ourselves from lions and tigers and bears but we haven't found ways to then get that part of our soul out of us where we're saying like oh everybody's different why are they different how does that impact me how is that going to hurt my safety so that needs to completely go first and foremost it needs to go with in america for example we have that's the only way i can speak about it because that's how i was born and raised and that's the history that i'm familiar with but we had jim crow laws that you know deliberately segregated black and white people in ni- up until 1964 hello bizarre <laughs> yeah 1964 you crazy that's insane i mean that's yeah. just insane and then so from that point on at the very worst you would think that that would be the end of it that would be a huge step forward for you know people in the country and not only the people but the laws but in fact that's not the truth and and right now we have you know there's two different kinds of racism we discuss in America de jure and de facto de jure meaning by it's by the law so when we abolish jim crow laws you would think that many of those laws would go with it however there's just been slight changes in the in the legal terms so that now it doesn't look racist inherently but it is Because, yes for example we have this thing called terry frisks uh it's from a case terry versus ohio and it allows police officers to stop people that have any sort of quote unquote reasonable suspicion and frisk them to see if they have a weapon so wow. one of the elements saying that they have uh you know the ability to be frisked is that they're in um in a neighborhood that they don't look like they belong so wow. so we're we're creating de facto racism that's by practice by manipulating the law so of course first we need to start with the law and start with law enforcement and training and all of those things um but we also need to look at things from a in practice standpoint the de facto standpoint on how we as citizens treat people on a day-to-day basis so it's 
extremely systemic and top to bottom and you know the solution is wide <laughs> but i think that if we can each take our own responsibility and then hold the people accountable that need to be accountable it's very powerful very powerful. outstanding outstanding hannah tavis uh, well i'm actually going to use one of uh, hannah's posts today um on the uh, ikegai that you posted sure uh, which is, I think people want to do self-help is getting bigger and bigger all the time. And I think it's a great thing because people become self-aware. So to be able to just like you, like this, this, uh, this says is, is that people can find things that they love what they do. It makes them happier. You know, if they understand it's making the world a bit better for what they're doing, they get some satisfaction from it. If they can just get paid for it so that they can live. And, and that they become really good at it so that they are content in what they do. The simple things like this, because this, this is really what will then change society like one step at a time. So we can definitely learn from other cultures like in Japan, a place like this where, where there are good things and there are, there are other things that are, are maybe you can question, but, but definitely there are areas of self-help that need to be put into more into schools like in Scandinavia, a place like that, that do this. That, that have much lower crime rates, have much lower um, uh, examples of racism and everything. So, but we're not seen to be learning from each other in a glo on a global scale. So I think it's just about the self-help. Outstanding and satisfying. Well, Asil, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, a dreamer. <laughs> and, and yes, the way I look at Asil, the I do believe that I think the first and the foremost thing is that we need to educate ourselves and we need to look at each other's perspective once we start looking at each other's perspective i think it will make us much better and i think the kind of conflicts that arises they will probably slowly and steadily die out they will not probably die out all of a sudden but slowly and steadily i think we will start appreciating each other's point of view and uh, learn to coexist with each other the only way to make this world beautiful and uh, peaceful and make it an amazing place to live is to respect each other and to respect each other's point of view. Still have your difference of opinions, but still learn and to accept each other the way we are, rather than trying to change either each other. So that's that's what my take is. Fantastic. Well, before we wrap up, I want to say thank you all so much for joining me. And for me, my wrap up would be that I live in a world of infinite possibilities and I prefer to see things not as they are, but as they could be. And that makes me a true optimist as well. So hoping that the world becomes a better, more peaceful place and thanking you all for joining me because it's been absolutely fantastic having you on Turban Thinker. Thank you guys. Thank, thank you, you so Arsene. Thank you, Travis. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.